welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 15 of the 2024 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. And you know, it's been a little over a week since the college football playoff national championship. And well, I got that one wrong. And who in their right mind is going to bet against Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines? Who's got it better than them? Obviously nobody. They are the national champs. 34-13 winners. Uh, and I think, honestly, what got me uh, sold on, on Washington really was the play of Michael Penix Jr. against Texas. When you look at a defense like Michigan and the front that they had, uh, you know, expecting Mason Graham, expecting Chris Jenkins, uh, Kenneth Grant to, to apply pressure up front. I was expecting Penix Jr. to do a lot of what he did against Texas. You know, we talked about the fact that Devondre Sweat, Byron uh, Murphy were able to get pressure uh, and he was able to sidestep that rush, manipulate the pocket, something that he really hadn't been able to do or really showcase because he was playing behind the Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line. And frankly, he picked the worst time to have maybe his worst game yet. 27-51, 255 yards, two, uh, just one touchdown, but two interceptions. And you know that was really, I think, the key to the game was Michigan being able to put pressure on Michael Penix Jr., making him uncomfortable the entire game. The fact that Dylan Johnson couldn't really get anything going, that, that running game was, was virtually non-existent. So really that they could bear down on Michael Penix Jr. We still saw him make some plays. We're going to talk about that here. But, uh, you know, Michigan, look, that front, they've got six, seven guys that are going to be playing in the NFL in the next couple of years. Uh, You know, that's just a dominant, dominant front. Um, You know, Michigan offensively, uh, you know, they weren't spectacular. You know, really what it was was it was Blake Corum and that offensive line going to work. J.J. McCarthy, you know, that, that's one of the things that, you know, he only completed 10 passes, 10 of 18 for 140 yards. I really left that game having more questions than anything else with J.J. McCarthy. Is this a guy that you feel comfortable putting the ball in his hand at the next level when really Michigan, when it counted in that game, the ball really went to the running game. The ball was not in his hands. He was not asked to do a whole lot. Uh, in, in this game, it was really you know, focused on that running game, focused on Blake Corum, and there were times where McCarthy did hit an open receiver, um, but you know also left a lot out there on uh, on the field as well. So we're going to take a look at all of the draft eligible prospects because that's what we do. Obviously, we know that the CFP National Championship it's already said and done, but this is what this podcast is all about. It's taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and really breaking them down. What do we see in the game? What does that mean for them? You know, really, where do we see these guys trending after this game as they go into the pre-draft process, which is really what we're in right now. And uh, you know, I think really what we have to do first is take a look at Washington uh, when they were on offense and talk about Michael Penix Jr. I think that's really the, the hot uh, topic, if you will, coming out of that game. And really with Michael Penix Jr., Against Texas, again, like I said, he was able to manipulate the pocket. He was able to sidestep the rush, reset his feet, and fire darts down the field. What you saw against Michigan was a very uncomfortable Michael Penix Jr. This is the first time that any team was able to put consistent pressure throughout the entire game. He was seeing uh, you know, Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins, 
coming up the middle uh, along with, with Kenneth Grant. I was worried about Nate Kalepo, Jordan Brailsford, Julius Bulow on the interior of that line going against these guys. And it, you know, frankly, it really showed that they were overmatched. Braden McGregor didn't really get to do a whole lot when he saw really none of these guys did, whether it was him, whether it was uh, you know uh, Josiah Stewart, Cam Good, uh, Derek Moore, Jalen Harrell. None of those guys really wanted to line up over over Troy Fotanu. You know, a couple of guys got got in, you know, and and made some pressures, but for the most part, did his job. You know, McGregor uh, didn't really record any stats, but you saw the pressures. You saw him making Michael Penix Jr. uncomfortable. Same with J uh, Jalen Harrell, drawing, uh, you know, multiple holding calls against uh, Roger Rosengart in the right tackle, um, and, and so you know, plus Mikey Sane was still coming off the edge and. Uh, you know Josiah Stewart pr making the pressures, but really it was it was coming right up the middle, and that's one of the things that you were expecting to see Michael Penix Jr. Can you sidestep that rush and go? A and we just didn't see that. And when he was asked to make plays on the move, he looked very pedestrian. Michael Penix Jr. is at his best when he's able to make a move and then reset his feet and fire those darts. And when he's on the move like that, trying to throw without setting his feet, man, you know, he was throwing behind receivers. He was sailing and, and throwing over guys. Michael Penix Jr. under pressure is, is not a pretty picture right now. And it's one of those things I've talked about that early on. And I, I drank the Kool-Aid against Texas because I thought, hey, you know what? Maybe he's finally shown it. Kind of like C.J. Stroud. We were talking about him last year. You know, Ohio State against Georgia. We finally got to see C.J. Stroud beat you with his legs. And I was like, all right, you know, we've, we've seen enough. Can Michael Penix Jr. do it? Sure. But here's the thing. This is the first time he actually saw consistent pressure. Texas, there wasn't consistent pressure. When he did have it, it was coming right up the middle, and he was able to make a quick move and, and sidestep you know, uh, Byron Murphy. When, when you've got Mason Graham and Chris Jenk, all these guys coming at you play after play after play, you know, you could tell that Penix Jr. was rattled. Uh, and, and here's the thing. He is, you know, uh, Jesse Minter, I, I think, also deserves a lot, a lot of credit because he was throwing a lot of different looks at him. Um, you know, guys were, were covered and not always open. And, uh, you know, there were some blown coverages, and Michael Penix just didn't see guys. Uh, obviously, a lot of that was due to the pressure. Had, uh, you know, Devin Culp, you know, running wide open. Missed that. There was a missed throw, you know, to, to Romo Dunze, uh, who was just looking to get vertical, and I think he was expecting him to take the ball to the outside or take the route to the outside, and uh, was trying to throw it away from the defender. Uh, Romo Dunze ha had really was just getting vertical, and you know the miscommunication there. Um, but we know, and, and you know Jesse Minter even talked about that's you know Michigan's defensive coordinator, that Michael Penix Jr. He, he's an elite processor. You see his brain work quickly, and, and they, there's a lot of talk about. UW's, uh, you know, one one read offense at times, but you know what I saw, you know, especially down in that goal line where the three yard touchdown, you saw him look to the right, and Romo Dunze gets held by Will Johnson. Not only does he see that, he points it out, and then comes back to his left. Jalen McMillan wins on a slant route and puts the ball literally finds the receiver and the ball's out in no time flat. I'd have to actually try to time it to see what the exact reaction time was there. But you saw him come off the initial, sees the hole, points it out, and then comes right back 
and, and fires a strike to to Jalen McMillan. You know, he's a guy that you know he he gets he understands where to go with the football. He and Bo Nix both are, are exceptional at that. Um, but it's one of those things with with, with Penix was you know he would read you know he read the safety on one um adjust to the motion covering the the middle of the field goes back deep Jalen Polk wide open up the seam puts the ball right on him on a curl route for a 17 yard gain as well um and look when he when he had the, the clean pocket man he was able to step right in hits Romo Dunze drops the ball right over his shoulder and uh you know it was a 32 yard gain that was called back due to a hold uh, what's crazy is is that Romo Dunze had a couple of big plays that were called back because of holding plays. Beat Will Johnson, who was ultimately named the defensive player of the game. You know, we'll get to that here in a minute. You know, against Texas, he was five of seven on on throws of you know with 20 plus air yards, um, 10 off platform completions. Both were season highs, and so that's really one of the things that you looked at and said, "Man, this is going to be the game for Penix Jr." And it just never came to fruition. And that's, I think, part of what was was so frustrating was, um, you know, it's one of those things to where he can do it, but can he do it consistently? Um, you know, we know what Caleb Williams can do under pressure. We've seen it time and time again there at USC. He was running for his life a lot of times. Uh, that offensive line just not giving him a whole lot of time, and he was still able to produce. Drake May, the same thing. Offensive line was not very good uh, and to a lesser extent you know Jaden Daniels playing behind that LSU offensive line he did not have the luxury of playing behind uh, Joe Moore award level offensive lines Michigan Washington Oregon all of those teams have you know were fine had offensive lines finalists for the Joe Moore award right and JJ McCarthy Michael Penix Jr. Bo Nix are any of them first round quarterbacks you can go through study the tape and, and talk about them and find a lot of the positives. But I came out of this game saying, you know, any chance of Michael Penix Jr. as a top 10 quarterback out the window. There's just no way. Can he throw the ball? Absolutely. But you put put him under pressure, and is he going to be able to have that short drop, find the hot receiver, and, and deliver those short to intermediate throws? We know we can throw the deep ball. The deep ball is going to be there all day. The throws into the flat, we've seen those. But can he, when he's under that, that consistent pressure, that short drop, hang in there and deliver that strike? I don't know that he's going to be able to do that. You know, I, I think really he's going to need a, a team that's uh, that's not completely rebuilding. You know, I, I look at a team like Atlanta. I look at a team like Minnesota. Um, you know, even Seattle, uh, depending on what happens with Geno Smith. Um, you know, teams that. You know, they, they, they're building around. You look at the offensive line. They've got a lot of talent at the skill position, and they're really looking for a quarterback as kind of that final piece. Um, Michael Penix Jr. is not a first-round quarterback, in my opinion. I think this is a guy that's still going to go in the top 50. I, I think he's still probably my number four quarterback, although I think Bo Nix is, is charging. J.J. McCarthy, to me, has dropped in this group as well. Uh, but look, you know, he, he faced consistent pressure. Um, earlier in the season as well, 50% of his pressures uh, came in, you know, against Oregon, Arizona State, and Stanford. And when you look at those three games at the beginning, of, you know, uh, in the middle of the season, in October, um, two games where he his completion percentage was under 60%, um, and he threw four interceptions in those games. 
Arizona State, he only threw for 275 yards. You know, that's one of the lower totals that we saw from him. Oregon State, tough defense, 162 yards and a couple of scores. Um, you know, in, in that game, only completed 46.4% of his passes. So you put him under pressure, and you know he's a guy that I, I think he can't do the improvisation of a, that a lot of the other guys have. You know, you, you throw that in, you've got the injuries to go along with it. Yes, you know, he's had the two years, and I said this on the last podcast, and I tried to make it as an argument, but, you know, who am I kidding? Four years in a row in Indiana with season-ending injuries, two uh, AC joint issues, you know, and and then um, two ACL tears. Yes, he he was at UW and two straight seasons without any injuries, but four four season-ending injuries, I mean, man... You want to take that in round number one? I mean, you're really gambling. Are there guys, look, you know, uh, Anthony Munoz tore his knee three times at USC, and look, the dude still ended up being a Hall of Famer. But you're talking about very few times you're going to see that happen. Terry Allen was a 1,000-yard rush after tearing both AC, you know, an ACL on his left knee and then an ACL on the right knee. You know, so there, there are success stories when you're talking about injuries. But Michael Penix Jr., look, he's also going to be 24 years of age going into the league. So, you know, he's going to be an older prospect um it, there's just there are a lot of question marks you know so I, I think if i'm a team look if i'm atlanta sitting there at number eight i seriously consider you know getting on the phone talking to chicago you know what what are you doing with justin fields you know are you keeping justin fields or are you are, are you looking to trade that number one overall pick um you know i, I don't see um Chicago trading all the way down to number eight. I think you're probably going to see like a team like Washington trade up, get get the hometown kid, Caleb Williams. Um, but then, you know, I think with the Bears, ultimately that means that a quarterback's off the table. Maybe Atlanta is able to get Jaden Daniels at that point. I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how everything plays out. Um, Penix Jr., I think, you know, like I said, you know, Minnesota in the second round would make a lot of sense. Um, but this was just a game that I thought he was exposed, and I really worry about him at the next level. You know, he's got to be in the right situation. I think a lot of these quarterbacks, they've got to be in the right situation. I talked about Roma Dunze. Ended up with five catches. Um, what was it? 87 yards on, on the day. And, uh, you know, Odunze was going up against Will Johnson, who's going to be a, a first-round pick in next year's draft. I think he'll be one of the top corners and uh, you know Odunze, he, he and Penix Jr. struggled to get on the same page. You know, you saw him get really anxious coming off the line. He was one on one against Josh Wallace and, and stumbled coming out of the blocks. Um, but man, he ran an out and up on the outside. Was able to get inside leverage on Will Johnson, forced a hold. Um, mentioned that that move there. Um, you know, really coming off off the line and another hold by by Will Johnson. And uh, look, Michael Penix Jr. even threw a you know a a ball um, underthrown, was able to work his way back to the ball, did a great job tracking it, and ultimately another defensive pass interference by Will Johnson. But a couple of those plays again called back due to due to penalties. Um, 44 yard gain on a busted play, got vertical, uh, ball thrown a little short, able to still haul haul the ball in, and uh, you know cut inside the the DB he's going to make you pay that's really the thing is one-on-one you saw the physicality you saw his ability to separate it was on the outside versus Will Johnson shows a sluggo 
plants to the inside, gets vertical, runs by him, tracks the ball over his shoulder like I was talking about, catching the ball in the bucket at 38, goes out of bounds at the 35 for a gain of 32. That was called back due to a hold. So, I mean, there were a lot of plays where Will Johnson, the defensive player of the game, yes, he has the interception to start off the third quarter. I, I think Mason Graham had a bigger impact. Mikey Sainter still should have been the guy, though. Eight tackles, that interception that really sealed the sealed the deal. I was really surprised that Will Johnson was ultimately the guy that they were handing this this uh, this trophy to uh, when it was you know all came down to it. But Romo Dunze, I think there's no question. You know, you saw you see the speed, you see the the strength. You know, six three, two fifteen. He's going to be you know either you know the second or third receiver taken in this year's draft. He'll be a top ten pick. And, uh, you know, really the question mark is just how high is he going to go come off the board? That's that's really a big question mark right now. And uh, I think there are a lot of different teams that could use his services there at the top of the draft. And, you know, I think that's what makes it so interesting is, uh, you know, obviously Arizona is going to be a team that's going to be looking for a wideout. If Chicago doesn't go quarterback, um, then I think you know they may look to trade to number two or number three with Washington and New England, and, and still look to get Marvin Harrison Jr. Then you know Cardinals are going to take either Malik Neighbors or um, Romo Dunze, which then leaves Romo Dunze right there at number six overall. You know to to the Giants, um, Romo Dunze could he fall to number nine to to the Bears? You know that's always a possibility as well. Uh, the Chargers sitting there at five, I think Brock Bowers would be a great pick for them. But you could also see them taking either Malik Neighbors or Romo Dunze. So it's going to really be interesting to see exactly where he goes. But he is absolutely a top 10 pick. Jalen Polk, look, 6'2", 204. You know, this is a guy that uh, does a really good job sinking his hips. For a guy who's 6'2", sinks his hips. Uh, you know, there was a comeback on that curl route, as I mentioned. Ball was a little high. Able to extend, pluck the ball for a 17-yard gain. Um, caught a screen, showed really you know good acceleration down the field for 16 yards. Had four catches for 37 yards. Polk to me is a guy that I, I think could be a, a day two pick. I think there are a lot of guys at that receiver position. You know he'll probably be a third rounder. It would be my guess. Uh, you know Jalen McMillan is a guy that I think everyone was expecting to have a huge year as a slot guy. Um, you know. I was thinking third round. You know, he's probably going to be somewhere in that third, fourth, fifth round. Um, you know, I'd be really surprised if he didn't fall to the fifth. But uh, you know, you see his ability to to win off the line of scrimmage. Um, perfect secondary option, and, and a guy that before the injury was kind of a security blanket for for Penix. Uh, 6'1", 186. Um, you know. Look, all three of these receivers are going to be coming into the draft. Could they all end up coming off the board in the first two days of the draft? Absolutely. Um, you know, Jack Westover, five catches, 42 yards. This is a guy that people aren't really talking about. I think Westover has a great chance to get drafted. You know, he's very versatile, can do a lot of different things. Um, you know, he could be the, the you know, he could be a fullback if you wanted him to. H back, tight end, six three two forty eight. Doesn't have the biggest size, but he's a guy that's going to end up playing at the next level. Former walk on, played very little football in high school. Um, you know, battled a calf injury during the season, but you never really knew that. Um, you know, you, you watched him as a blocker, kept the hands inside on, on Mikey Sainer, still allowing Jalen McMillan to get outside on, on a jet sweep for a gain of nine yards. Excellent block on the perimeter on Will Johnson on a screenplay for, for Romo Dunze, allowing him to bounce it to the outside for a gain of eight yards. Uh, good route runner, excellent hands, can plant, get up the field. 
know, he's not the most sudden guy by any means, but a guy that could just get the job done. Um, so really a lot of nice weapons there for Penix Jr. Uh, and then I mentioned the offensive line. Um, Troy Fatanu, uh, clearly, you know, this is a guy that's going to be a first round pick. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, either the late teens or uh, early 20s is probably that, that range, that sweet spot for Fatanu. Um, athleticism on display on a screen in the flat to Dunze, two yards behind the line of scrimmage. He gets to the second level on the perimeter, seals off the linebacker Michael Barrett. Odunze cutting outside for a pickup of 16 yards. Uh, you saw the kick slide. Uh, Derek Moore um, stays balanced, low pad level as he's moving with him. And really Derek Moore is trying to attack him up high with a bull rush and trying to really out-muscle him. And, and Fotanu keeps that low center of gravity, keeps that low base, able to anchor and drive into him and, and really set that base and was not moved off of his point, wasn't moved back at all. Um, you saw him be physical with his hands to swipe at, at Mason Graham and, and throw him off his rush. Um, just really, you know, there was another play where he strikes Derek Moore, extends his right arm into the inside pad level, um, controls him coming off the edge. You saw really good footwork as well. Um, sliding with Braden McGregor, sinks those hips there as well, kept him in front. So I, I thought Troy Fatano absolutely helped him, 6'4", 312. Um, he'll be a you know a, a first rounder for sure, um, but Roger Rosengarten I thought you know this was the game that where his foot speed was really exposed um, or, or lack thereof. Uh, it's one of those things to where you know Rosengarten he's got good length he's six six three hundred you know he'll be a right tackle at the next level, um, but I, I think he's one of those guys you know you're looking at anywhere between the fifth and you know and, and fifth sixth round more than likely, um, but I, I think you know. He was so slow out of his stance against Derek Moore, uh, beat him with speed. He was really left lunging, leaning, wasn't able to recover. Uh, beaten badly by Braden McGregor on an out-and-up move. Uh, really overset and uh, crossover. Ultimately got called for a hold. It was kind of a, you know, it was kind of a weak holding call on that 32-yard pass play to Romo Dunze, but still, um, you know, shouldn't have even put himself in that situation. He was also beaten by uh, Jalen Harrell on the fourth down play that I mentioned that uh, Will Johnson had the, the defensive pass interference, and he was just slow to react out of his stance. I mean, basically had to just grab him as he was going by. Um, so it's one of those things to where, you know, Rosengarten, um, you know, look, Rob Havenstein came from Wisconsin. I thought that, you know, he, he was kind of heavy-footed when he was coming out you know, as a Badger, and he's carved a nice career for himself. Uh, Rosengarten, you know, can generate a lot of movement in, in the running game. I've seen him, uh, you know, with his kick slide and then take that defensive end, you know, extending into him and then riding him away from the play. I, I think he needs to get get a little bit stronger um, and also needs just needs to work on that, that quickness coming out of his stance and, and really getting with an NFL O-line coach uh, because I thought he was definitely exposed in this game. Um, you know, I, I think he will be a day three guy. He's some one of those guys to keep an eye on. Because um, I still think the kid, the kid can play, but uh, you know, I mean, granted, you know, McGregor, Harold, those are guys that are going to be playing on Sunday as well. Um, you know, Rosengarten. You know, the, the question with the foot speed, you know, is is he a guy that you ultimately have to kick inside to guard? Because if that's the case, if ultimately he's not a guy that you're going to be playing a tackle, I think that's going to affect his overall draft stock. Um, so, Washington, we kind of broke them down, took a look at things. Dylan Johnson. Really couldn't get anything going. 
I, I think you can talk about his toughness. That's really the biggest thing that you can say for this kid. A guy that's battled a foot injury the entire year. Uh, you know, the bursa sack, you know, I mean, tears the bursa sack in his knee in the in the semifinal there against Texas. You know, having issues with his other ankle. And, you know, 11 carries, 33 yards, had a couple, you know, a couple of catches for 24 yards. He wasn't his explosive self, and yet this guy was was physical. He was a guy, you know, he, he's at his best, you know, outside, in, you know, at, you know, with a zone team, um, you know, puts his foot in the ground, gets downhill, and really just wants to be physical. You know, he's a pretty good pass catcher as well. Um, this is just a guy, he's going to be a grinder for you. You know, he's going to be a late day three guy, I, I think, but, um, you know, I, I was just impressed with his ability to to deal with that pain. He just wasn't himself. So Washington, to take any of that pressure off Michael Penix Jr., that constant pressure, there, there was no fear of the run game. Tybo Rogers, Will Nixon were not uh, much of a factor. I was really surprised because I thought Tybo Rogers uh, had a couple of really nice carries in the, in the Texas game. Uh, I like his athleticism. I thought he was going to be much more of a factor than he actually was. Um, and so, you know, that was a huge... Uh, difference maker there, I thought, with Washington's offense and Michigan really being able to, to tee off on Michael Penix Jr. Now, Michigan, I mentioned all these guys on this team, and Mason Graham is a kid, you know, he's not going to be in this year's draft. He's a true sophomore. And what's crazy is he went to Servite, same school as Noah Fafita and Tedaroa McMillan, uh, and then the tight end, Keon Burton, uh, I'm sorry, Burnett, um, they're at, at Arizona. The question is, you know, they're at U of A. They hire Brent Brennan as the head coach coming down from, from San Jose State. But uh, Jed, Jed Fish moves on to Washington. The way that was handled, you know, was there any conversation? It sounds like, you know, he, he went in, let the team know, and was basically in and out. So how many guys could really be on the move to Washington? Did he burn bridges there? If I'm Mason Graham, I'm at least getting on the phone and having a conversation with Noah Fafita. Tenero uh, McMillan, Keon Burnett, saying, hey, let's let's reunite the Servite Friars in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, th there, does he have that kind of pull with, with his his boys? Uh, but, man, Mason Graham is so physical at the point of attack. This is a guy I, I look at, the, the impact that he made in, in, in this bowl game and really against Alabama as well as a defensive player of the game. Uh, just the bull rush. I mean, he was just flattening the right guard, uh, Julius Bulow, forcing Penix to, to flee the pocket. Uh, then he lines up over Nate Kalepo, and, uh, you know, they're pulling, looking to block, able to use his hands to get off the block. Quick burst down the line of scrimmage to drop uh, Dylan Johnson for no gain. This is a guy, to me, when I look at guys at the defensive tackle position with the real quick, quick get-off, guys that are looking to be a quick penetrator getting into the backfield and being effective against both the run and the pass, I think of guys like like uh, you know Brian Brissy and, and uh, Mason Graham, to me, is a guy that I think we have to watch out for as a potential first-round pick. Uh, he was, he to me, he was, he was dominant yet again, and that's why he's a guy, a name to watch out for in the 2024 draft, for sure. Now, Chris Jenkins, 6'3", 305, you know, we know the bloodlines there. Dad played for the Carolina Panthers. Um, this is a dude who, you know, against Alabama, you know, you want to talk about how strong J.C. Latham is? He grabbed a hold of Chris Jenkins and turned him to the outside, basically threw him and just kind of kept him there on the ground, just threw him to the outside, opened up this huge hole for Jason McClellan on a 34-yard touchdown. 
Um, but then in this game, you know, speed was all the difference. Um, lines up against uh, the right guard, Julius Bulow. Uh, you know, poor Bulow, you know, just getting picked on. Uh, shows a quick move first, attacking the outside shoulder. Spin move back to the inside as he was leaning. Put him out of position. Then the burst to close on Penix to force a throw away. Um, also did a really good job um, holding the point with excellent leverage. Uh, extending his right hand into the left shoulder pad of uh, the left guard, Nate Kalepo. Got low, really, really low. And then disposed of him and wrapped up Will, Will Nixon after just a short gain. So you saw his ability to, you know, anchor and set the edge uh, against the run playing with excellent leverage uh, and then you also saw his ability you know the speed and quickness to affect the passing game so that versatility this is a guy who's going to be a day two pick and I think this game just only solidified that fact watching his ability to continue to make those plays um, Braden McGregor I mentioned him this is going to be a day three guy um, but this is a guy that's going to come out there and work his butt off. You know, he's physical. He's 6'6", 267. I think he's a guy who ultimately his, his home is probably going to be as a five technique in a 34 defense. I think that's where he could probably excel. Uh, struggled against Troy Fatanu, um, but was able to take advantage of the lack of foot speed by, by Roger, Roger Rosengarten, as I mentioned. Uh, quickness off the ball, like I mentioned on that, on that out and up, you know, just a jab, jab step on the outside. Right tackle over sets, able to use a quick arm over, beats him to the inside, pressures Michael Penix in the pocket, um, uses that length to overpower his blockers as well. Um, you know, a lot more bull rush uh, than finesse. Jalen Harrell is, is more of the finesse guy on the opposite side. You know, I, I think Harrell is another guy that uh, uh, you know, day three is probably where, where it feels right for him. Um, Kenneth Grant, I mentioned uh, Mason Graham. Now Jenkins is leaving, but Kenneth Grant's going to be on that line as well. He had a sack. And when you're talking about a guy who's uh, 340 pounds, moving the way that he did in that game, it was ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's getting into the backfield, chasing down Michael Penix Jr. He really didn't have anywhere to go. How do you sidestep a guy like that? Um, you know, the, the quickness coming off the football, he's going to be a guy to watch in next year's draft, as is Josiah Stewart. Look, you know, Josiah Stewart, yes, he's undersized, 6'1", 245, but he's got a really quick get-off. Came over from Coastal Carolina, um, you know, was kind of a, a role player, but, you know, he, he's played, stepped up, played really well. Uh, a guy that could set the edge at times. Um, you know, got up the field, took on the block of the pulling guard, Nate Kalepo. Um, nearly able to drop the running back Dylan Johnson for a loss, but he really blew up that play, allowed uh, Junior Colson to work inside out to really drop the running back. He announced he's coming back for his senior season. So when you look at it, you're losing McGregor, Jenkins, and Harrell, but you're able to then fill in with with Grant and Stewart. And I think Derek Moore will probably be that other defensive end there for that group. So you know they're they're in good hands overall. Uh, Junior Colson, uh, this is a guy that I think is going to be uh, probably an early day three guy. Um, 6'3", leading tackler uh, for the team. Was playing with a cast on one hand, a club on the other. Three-year starter. You know, this is a guy that's just hard-nosed, uh, physical defender. You know, I mentioned that, you know, the instincts getting outside, chasing down Dylan Johnson on that play where jo uh, jo Josiah Stewart got that early penetration up the field, understood what was going on, able to make a beeline, drop the running back uh, in, in space. You know, he showed the ability, you know, in coverage to pick up defenders, uh, I'm sorry, pick up route runners um, coming over the middle as well. 
Um, you know, I think watching his, his fluidity in coverage is going to be a big question mark for me. I want to see what he can do. I know what he can do as a, as a blitzer. I know what he can do covering the field sideline to sideline. What can he do dropping into coverage? That's something that I'll, I'm going to want to see in uh, any of the uh, all-star games that he's invited to, and then you know, especially at the Combine, uh, to really see exactly where he's going to go. I still have him as my number three linebacker, um, inside linebacker, off-ball linebacker, whatever you want to call him. And uh, you know, Colson, early day, you know, day three, could he sneak into that third round? I think it's all, always possible. Um, you know, the linebacker position, you know, we saw last year uh, guys that we were expecting to come off the board um, much earlier in uh, you know Drew Sanders and uh, Trenton Simpson ultimately came off the board in the third round. Um, so. Colson, third, fourth, probably feels about right. Um, but how about Mikey Sainer still? You know, this is a guy uh, came to Michigan as a receiver, right? And he moved over to the defensive side of the football, and he's really made an impact um, since he made that move. You know, this is a guy that's basically been a nickel. He missed four tackles against Texas, I mean, against Alabama. And then he shows up in this game, and you know, it was an early play, third and five, quick throw to the line of scrimmage to Jalen McMillan in the slot. Drove on it, able to wrap him up. McMillan tries to spin away, but he's able to drop him for just a one-yard gain. You know, he saw the physicality, wrapping up well, doesn't you know really allow any yards after catch. Very reliable tackler. So that that Alabama game was an anomaly, and you saw him really take it personally in this game. Um, you know, ran right with Jalen McMillan on a wheel from the slot. Um, you know, he kind of showed an out and then gets vertical and uh, took away the angle. Uh, for a throw while in phase, you know, just down that sideline. Really made it difficult for Michael Penix Jr. Ultimately ends up overthrowing the play. Um, and then on a fourth and, fourth and 13 from the Michigan 30, Jalen McMillan runs a crossing route. Penix Jr. sails the pass. He was sitting in the zone, makes the pick, takes off down the field for an 81-yard gain, sets up first and goal in the final touchdown by Michigan. Sanders still finished the game, as I said, eight tackles and that interception for 81 yards. He, he's a leader on that defense. To me, he's one of those guys to where, you know, I, I think he's going to get drafted much higher than a lot of people think. Could he be, you know, he could even be a guy that could be taken in round number two. He's one of those guys, a high character guy. He's, he's one of those guys that, you know, as a receiver, I think he takes that receiver mentality to the defensive side of the football. You watch his ability to, to read the routes, understand what the quarterback wants to do with the football, understand what the receiver is going to do with the routes. And, and he puts himself in a position to make a play. Um, you know, you love his ability to blitz coming off the edge. You love his ability sticking his nose in the running game as well and run support. And, uh, you know, why wouldn't you as a team, you know, as a, uh, an NFL franchise not want this guy on your team? You, know, you, you want this guy on your team. You want to get him on the field as, as quickly as possible. I don't think he gets past day two. And I think there's a chance we can even see Mikey Samer still coming off the board in round number two uh, just because of, of everything that he does on the football field uh, you know, for, for the Michigan Wolverines. Now, when Michigan had the football in this game, let's talk about J.J. McCarthy, shall we? Uh, as I mentioned, 10 of 18, 140 yards, had four carries for... Um, 31 yards and I think you know a lot of what we saw here wasn't so much you know what J.J. McCarthy did but a lot of it was what he didn't do or wasn't asked to do um, a lot of times when you know a big play was needed you know you saw Blake Corum you saw Donovan Edwards you saw a lot of these other guys stepping up and making plays 
And the question is, is you know, you've got the Big Ten quarterback of the year. He's 26 and one now, 20, uh, 27 and one as a starting quarterback. Um, but the ball wasn't always in his hands um, when you needed that big play. And that that really, you know, I, I know Michigan's identity is running the football, but it still makes you wonder, you know, why is this team not going through JJ McCarthy? Why aren't they asking him to do more? You know, and you see the talent, you see his ability. Um, you know, uh, the, the nose tackle Tuli Latui Nasanoa uh, got after him after he drops back, forced him to backpedal, rolled to his left away from that pressure. Cornelius Johnson comes on a comeback route, put the ball to the outside. Um, ultimately, you know, the ball was a little bit too far to the inside. Uh, Cornelius Johnson able to extend for the ball behind him and, and hauled it in going down. Uh, he was fading towards the sideline as he threw it. Didn't really get the hips turned around to drive the football to the outside. But you saw the athleticism. You saw his ability to make a play, extend the play. Uh, so you do like that. Uh, clean pocket on a second and seven from the 17. Um, Roman uh, Wilson running a crossing route. Patient, allowing him to come across the field. Hits him as he gets outside the safety, Dominic Hampton. Uh, Wilson ultimately forced out at the 45 for a gain of 38. Hampton came down expecting a run. You saw the quarterback, McCarthy, throw over the top. Accurate pass. You're reading the defense. Uh, so you you like to see that. Pressure coming. Rolling out to buy time. Finds the tight end, Colson Loveland, on, on a comeback. Puts the ball on the outside. Ultimately, Loveland wasn't able to, to haul it in. Uh, Dominic Hampton was contesting the catch right there along the sideline, but you put the ball right on his tight end, which is what you want to see. Um, you know, but there was uh, you know, third and ten. I think it was the same same drive. Uh, pressure coming from the linebackers needed to get it out quickly. Has Cornelius Johnson on a on a stop route threw the ball way too high. Ended up with a punt. That fourth and two play. You know, he was looking for Roman Wilson on, on an out route in, into the boundary from the slot, and uh, you know. Edifon uh, Olafosho able to drive on that ball and break it up. Um, you know the he needed a you know need, the ball needed to get there a little bit quicker, and uh, you know ultimately it was it was broken up. Um, there was a second 10, uh, 42 seconds left in the first half. Back to pass finds Colson Loveland on a return route coming open over the middle, hits him in stride, takes him down the middle of the field for a 19-yard gain. Um, so we saw. Um, you know, saw his ability to find the open man, extend some plays. Um, you know, there's a throw on the outside to, to Cornelius Johnson on an out route for a gain of seven yards. Uh, but ultimately forced Michigan to call a timeout because Johnson wasn't able to get outside. He put the ball a little to the inside, which then you know, gave Elijah Jackson time to drive on the ball and wrap him up. Didn't really allow Cornelius Johnson that momentum going towards the sideline. He put the ball to the inside, so that ball placement again, uh, you know, coming into play on the short to intermediate routes, not always putting the ball where his receivers needed it. Uh, and then 16 seconds left, third and three, backed up as, as pressure came off, you know, came in his face, off his back foot, sailed the throw to Johnson to the boundary up the field, you know, really a poor throw, um, you know, throwing off that back foot as I mentioned. Um, you know, the, I thought one of the biggest plays, you know, from the Michigan nine-yard line there in the second in the second half, third and eight, middle of the field opens up, gets downhill, showed tremendous speed, split the safeties at the second level, picks up 22 yards. Next play, zone read, follows his tight end Loveland, uh, able to get outside for a gain of 11 yards, 
40 carries for first down, mostly in the Big Ten by a quarterback. Um, so it's one of those things, you know, they, I think they even talked about on the broadcast, you know, bootleg, you know, he's rolling out to his right, patient, waiting for uh, uh, Michelle uh, Powell, the, the, the nickel, to commit to either the, the deeper receiver or Roman Wilson underneath. When he drops, he then hits Roman Wilson, didn't panic, didn't rush the throw, waited for that defender to commit before ultimately making the throw. Um, you know, the biggest throw was, was a 41-yard gain to Colson Loveland. Ran a dig route. Ball was out just after the cut uh, with, with Dominique Hampton coming downhill. Tight end. Runs away from everyone uh, for a, a big gain. So there were some splash plays, but he was hitting open receivers. Um, and when he was under pressure, when you know he was in even some of those completions, those 10 completions, ball placement was an issue on some of those on the short to intermediate routes, some easy throws, and you know he just kind of left it where the receivers kind of bailed them out a little bit. And you know the speed, the athleticism, they're absolutely on display. But for me, if I'm an NFL team, NFL franchise, and I'm looking at who's going to be the face of my franchise, and really considering that, you know, you're going to take that guy in round number one. Is J.J. McCarthy one of those guys? I'm not taking him in the top ten. But even looking at, you know, if I'm a team that's sitting there in the middle to the end of round one, is J.J., are there, there are just too many question marks for me to say J.J. McCarthy is absolutely a first-round pick. I may change my tune, there, you know, but it, it's it's one of those things to where I just, I need to go back and I need to watch all the film, um, you know, and really watch all 22 and, and study J.J. McCarthy and, and really get a, a better feel for how he's seeing the field. Because you know, watching the games live, watching what he's done, you know, and or what he hasn't done, it leaves a lot of question marks for me. And so that's why I look at Michael Penix Jr. I look at Bo Nix. They understand where to go with the football. Those are two guys that were basically cornerstones of their team, and they're older prospects. And that's the one thing that J.J. McCarthy has that neither of those guys have is the benefit of some time. He's a much younger quarterback, um, and, and so. He, there's there's a lot more time for teams to work with him, but does that mean you're going to take him in round one? I honestly think early round two is, is where JJ McCarthy should go, but there are so many teams that need a quarterback either right now or will need one soon that they're going to be eyeing a quarterback very early in this draft. I just like I said, I I, I haven't seen enough out of JJ McCarthy to say he should be a first rounder. You know, does he have the talent? Absolutely. I would have loved to have seen him on another team that basically the offense went through him. And the thing with it is, is even if they're a running team, at the end of the day, if you've got a quarterback who is that dynamic, you still find a way to put the football in his hands when it counts. And we just didn't see that. Blake Corum, the running back. 21 carries, 134 yards, two touchdowns. He was the offensive MVP in this game. And you know you saw the patience. You saw his ability to follow his blockers, whether it was Ladarius Henderson, Max Bredesen, um, you know, the, the vision to see the holes. You know, he sets up his blocks really well. Uh, then you know the quick lateral uh, cuts. You know, he's back to his uh, his former self, that, that that speed before the knee injury, the the agility, the lateral uh, you know cuts are absolutely there. Um, and then, like I said, the speed. You know, the, he, he was at his own 21, last play of the first quarter. O-line creates a huge hole up the middle. 
shows the burst uh, from the right side of the line, cuts it to the outside, beats the angle that was taken by the corner, Thaddeus Dixon, gets to the sideline, then after an angle is taken at the, the UW 30, cuts it back to the inside, Dixon finally drops him at the 20-yard line. Um, it was just one of those things as you are watching him, watching Blake Corum run, you saw the, you know, the, the, the burst is finally getting there. This is a guy that's, that's finally getting back to uh, you know 100%, and you really absolutely see that. Um, but very decisive. You love the physicality. You know, it drops that pad level, physical finisher, uh, 5'8", 2'12". Uh, you know, look, you know, they, they don't, didn't throw the football to him a whole lot um, you know, down the stretch. They didn't really need to. Um, you know, can Blake Corum be a, a pass catcher? I think that's something that teams are going to want to see him really catch that football out of the backfield. Um, he caught the ball 56 times. You know, and it's one of those things the last two seasons, just 27. But I will remind you that as a sophomore, he caught 24 passes in one season. Um, you know, seventh in the Heisman in 2022, ninth in 2023. I look at Blake Corum. He's a guy that uh, is in my top five at the running back spot. I, I think the running backs, uh, my, my top five is pretty much set. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think Trey Benson is one of those guys that, that's going to be right there. The, the speed and physicality for a guy that size. Jonathan Brooks at six foot two oh seven is right there as well. Audric Estime, uh, Bucky Irving. You know, Braylon Allen is another guy that is interesting and could very well work his way into my top five. Um, you know, estimate number three may be a little bit high. You know, I may be move, adjusting things and moving him down. You know, I, I just need to, to go back and take a look at, at my notes, take a look at some more game film with it. But you know, I think those are really your top six in the running back spot, um, especially with Travion Henderson coming back to Ohio State. That kind of opens things up a little bit. And I think Corum, you get him in there, you're going to see the burst, you're going to see the lateral agility. You know, and He's just, he's 5'8", but guys who are 5'8", the smaller smaller running backs, they're still able to get the job done. Uh, you know, Corum, you know, when you're looking at running backs, the earliest anyone's going to come off the board is second round. I think Corum is one of those running backs who could uh, hear his name called in, in round number three. I think that's probably the earliest that we'll see it called, um, but I think that's probably where we'll see him come off the board. Uh, Roman Wilson, three catches for 54 yards. You know, and he was matched up against Jabbar Muhammad for much of the game. And that was one of the things that I was talking about was, you know, Jabbar Muhammad, what he was able to do shutting down Xavier Worthy, uh, I thought was exceptional. Um, you know, Wilson, you know, made that catch underneath, quick burst, speed, getting downhill in a hurry. Um, I think he's one of those guys who's going to be a nice complimentary receiver. Um, could be a late day two, early day three guy. A Cornelius Johnson, three catches for 25 yards. He's the bigger, more physical uh, receiver. Um, you know, when I look at him, he's he's not the explosive receiver that, say, a Nico Collins was. I think Cornelius Johnson probably fits in that fifth round, probably somewhere around there. Um, he was able to, to separate from the safety on a comeback route, adjusted to that ball that I was saying, you know, throwing to the inside, sliding down, makes the catch for a 10-yard gain. Um, crossing route, um, I think he was expecting to get hit by Powell and uh, ultimately drops the pass. Um, Cornelius Johnson, to me, he's, he's a good receiver. wasn't anything spectacular by any means. Um, so fifth round, you know, it, it could be could be sooner. 
better than that, but I think really with the depth of this receiver receiving core, you know, I, I think fifth, sixth, could even fall to round seven possibly. Um, you know, but uh, I think there are a lot of other names that that are going to hear their names called, you know, much sooner than, than Cornelius Johnson. Um, AJ Barner, 6'6", 251. Um, excellent blocker. I think that's one of the things that you see. You see his ability, like against Iowa in the, in the Big Ten Championship, he's able to create some separation, um, coming straight down the line, and then uh, able to slip down, haul on a pass in the middle of the zone for a 13-yard gain. Um, you know, some of that, you know, there's dig route that he ran, widens the corner, then plants, comes across the field, ball was put on him. Ultimately, he did let the ball get into his body, so, not, you know, he's not known as a pass catcher, more so as a blocker, but the route running is something that you do see from him. Uh, there was one play, though, that I think really stands out. Um, you know, he pulls across from left to right, meets the linebacker on the outside, um, kicks him out, and then that ultimately allowed... Quorum to make Tupatala, Alfonso Tupatala, the inside backer, miss on his cutback to the inside. Again, that lateral agility, 12-yard touchdown, making guys miss in space. A.J. Barner you know, played a pivotal role there to really kick that guy out on the outside, which then allowed Quorum to do his thing in the open field. Uh, Barner's going to be a blocker, but look, you know, you look at a guy like Coquift at, at Minnesota, not much of a pass catcher uh, at Hall when he was at Minnesota. Right, um, but he still heard his name call. Was drafted in the sixth round, number two eighteen overall, six four two two sixty five. Caught twelve passes in his career as a Golden Gopher. He's known as a blocker. And you look at AJ Barner, six six two forty five, and uh, you know sixty four catches. You know, had twenty two this year, had forty two in his uh, three years with the the Indiana Hoosiers. I think he's a guy. You know, I look at him. He's a much better pass catcher. Than, than Coquift, but you know, I think from a blocking standpoint, that's really where his, his you know his uh, uh, you know bread is buttered, and, and I think that's ultimately what you're going to be seeing there with, with AJ Barner. Um, the offensive line, you know, I, I think Trent A. Jones. Um, I, I thought I saw that he's going to be at the East West Shrine game, I believe. Um, you know, you saw the athleticism there. You know, he was making a, a couple of decent blocks for them up front. Uh, Carson Barnhart, though, you know, he played right tackle. I thought he was exposed, especially against Penn State. Chop Robinson having a field day. 6'5", 316. He's played left tackle. He's played right tackle for him. But I think his home really there, is there at right guard. Um, that's where he kicked inside when Zach Zinner went down. Um, I think he's much better suited inside. You know, he was climbing to the second level, picking off Olafosho. Drove him back five-plus yards um, when they picked up a 15-yard gain. Um, you know, he was leading to his left. Voita. Uh, uh, Tanufi ultimately beats him, um, attacking that outside shoulder, got to the quarterback um, on, on a sack. But uh, the 46-yard uh, Donovan Edwards run, uh, Nasanoa, uh, Latuli Nasanoa drove Ladarius Henderson back into the backfield. Edwards planted, cut the ball back to the right, was able to get under the pad level of uh, of Tuatele, Fatui Tuatele, and Barnhart gets under that pad level was trying to shoot the gap to the inside, pinned him to that inside, and allowed Donovan Edwards to, to ultimately break it to the outside there as well. Um, I, I think he's a much better guard than he is a tackle. That versatility is going to vote well for Carson Barnhart. I believe he's a senior. Look for Barnhart to be a, a late day three pick. Then you, you got to go to the pivot, Drake Nugent. This is a guy, look, he's a veteran. Uh, 
played a lot of football, started his career there at Stanford, kicked over to, to Michigan. Look, 6'1", 305, um, not the biggest guy by any means, but when you look at Drake Nugent and what he brings to the table, it, it's a lot of the athleticism quickness. He's going to have to beat you with, with a lot of that. You know, climbs to the second level, um, gets to Raylan go forth on that 59-yard run that I talked about from Blake Corum. Created a lane on, on Corum's cutback after he hit the hole that was created by okay, Trent A. Jones and Carson Barnhart. Um, strikes with his hands, turns the linebacker to his left, gets a nice seal block there. Athleticism, that's one of the things that you see there out of that pivot. And when you talk about one of the best in the game who's retiring, Jason Kelsey, here's one of those things that, that I look at. Arm length, 32 and a half inches, you know, not ideal. You know, he's 6'2 and 5'8, so he's, he's taller than, than Drake Nugent. Um, weighed in at 280. So, you know, obviously play weight was 295, weighed in at 280. Nugent, 305, um, you know, the play weight there at Michigan. And, uh, you know, Kelsey ran a 489. So that's one of the things that I want to see uh, out of Drake Nugent is, is what's that 40 time going to be? How quick is he? How agile is he at that center position? Um, you know, Kelsey, uh, think about this. Uh, he was drafted uh, in the sixth round, number 191 overall in 2011. Drake Nugent, you know, he, he's one of those guys. I'm not saying he's going to be the next Jason Kelsey by any means. But you just look at the athleticism, what you see out there on the football field. I think he's one of those guys that is going to probably be in that six-round range. And, uh, you know, I think he's a guy who would have a shot at the next level. Um, you know, Trevor Keegan, uh, another guy there at that guard spot. You know, he's been a, a veteran presence on that line. Um, one of the better guards in the Big Ten. I thought he had a solid game all season, uh, you know, really all season long. You know, he's, he's been pretty solid overall. Uh, Ladarius Henderson. The left tackle, uh, you know, with, with Darius Henderson, this was a guy that was, you know, uh, I think a lot of people had him on on their radar as a top ten tackle. He's six four, three fifteen, uh, going against Braylon Trice. Trice stutters off the ball, caught him leaning to the outside, quick cancel stripe to the inside, gets to McCarthy as he was throwing. Um, you saw the athleticism, pulls on the outside zone uh, to the left, able to latch on to Trice. Drove him toward the sideline, opened up a lane for Corum. Um, ultimately followed that that block and the and the fullback Bredesen, as I mentioned, climbing to the second level behind him, beating off the ball, but Trice, uh, but was able to to recover, getting that right hand on the inside shoulder of Trice and was square to the line of scrimmage as he drove him up the field. Just couldn't recover because of that change in direction. Trice was able to plant as he was past McCarthy and was able to work back to the quarterback uh, who was trying to step up in the pocket. Um, Run play, as I mentioned, uh, with, with Donovan Edwards, a 41-yard touchdown. Uh, Elijah Jackson, the corner in the box. He was able to latch on to him, seal him off to the inside, allowing Edwards to plant, cut to the outside. Uh, had some good leverage on, on Braylon Trice, who tried an inside move. Beat him there, was able to, to ultimately throw him down and finish the block. You love the physicality. You love a little bit of that nastiness and that mean streak. I just look at Ladarius Henderson. I think he, he gets beaten way too often on the outside. I look at the physicality, I look at his ability to play in the running game. I, I ultimately believe he'll be a day three um, guard. You know, I, I think that's really where he should be. I think he, he could be a starter at the next level, but I think he really needs to kick inside to guard. I think that's really where his home is going to be. I mentioned Colson Loveland. 
Uh, had three catches for 64 yards. The run after catch, the blocking, uh, especially out on the perimeter um, for both the running game and for his receivers. Uh, Colson Loveland's going to be one of the top tight ends in next year's draft. Uh, you know, you can pretty much mark that down. Um, he's a guy that I think definitely stood out in this game. Uh, really was the top pass catcher for the Wolverines in this game. And then when you go to the Washington side of the football, um, I, I think you know my favorite player on this defense is Braylon Trice. One thing I will say before we talk about Braylon is uh, Jabbar Muhammad, the, the corner. Um, I mentioned Will Will Johnson being a first rounder. Jabbar Muhammad has been exceptional all season long. He's a little undersized, but he's going to be a guy that I, I, I think is going to be talked about as one of the better corners in next year's draft. The question is really going to be, where is he going to be playing next year? Because after moving to Washington from Oklahoma State, with Kalen DeBoer leaving, he's entered the transfer portal. Where is he going to be? But whoever ends up getting him through the portal is going to get a guy who's going to be a starter and a guy that I think will be playing uh, on Sundays um, and will be a factor in the 2025 draft. But let's get back to Braylon Trice, 6'4", 269, uh, the redshirt junior, only three tackles in the game. I, I wanted to see more consistency from him getting to the quarterback. I thought that Trente Jones and Ladarius Henderson uh, did a pretty good job because he was having to go so wide. He may have had some strength on him, may have had some physicality, but because he can't bend exceptionally well, uh, some of those wide rushes, he wasn't always to be nearly as effective as he wanted him to be. Um, you know, stutter off the ball, as I mentioned, with Ladarius Henderson. Head fake to the outside, got him leaning. Two-hand swipe, excellent hand usage to that inside shoulder. Uh, you know, got to the to, to JJ right as he was delivering that pass to Cornelius Johnson. It was a seven-yard game, but you just love the move. Um, unable to bend and get a sharper edge to the quarterback. That's something that you saw with Ladarius Henderson uh, being able to recover. Trice beat him off the ball. Henderson turned and really just took his right arm and put it into the inside shoulder and just kind of drove him up the field. Trice, like Aiden Hutchinson, I, I think about Hutchinson and the fact that he just doesn't quit. He's always working to get to the quarterback, and that's something that I love about Trice is you know, he, he's durable. He's a guy that doesn't come off the field. He's on, you know, out there for virtually every play, and he doesn't give up. He always plays with his hair on fire, and that's something you saw in this game time and time again. He just wasn't able to make the impact that we saw uh, against Texas in the Sugar Bowl. He was beating both Christian Jones and um, Kelvin Banks like a drum. Um, and really when he did get the opportunities to rush the passer there with J.J. McCarthy, with just 18 pass attempts, uh, there wasn't a ton of activity there. Um, you know, There were times where he, he looked to set the edge and he, he'd lose some of that, that pad level. Uh, I think still think Braylon Trice is going to be a, a first-rounder um, I think he'll be in the, the mid to late 20s in the draft, but I think he's got a lot of upside. I love, like I said, I love the motor. I love the physicality. Um, I just wish that he had a little bit more bend to his game. Um, and then obviously with you know, Edifon uh, Olufosho, you have to talk about uh, the, the linebacker play there, the inside linebacker. This is a guy um, who... Sets the edge, slip inside, drop Blake Corum, and wrap him up around the line of scrimmage. Um, but then he also showed that, that you know the blitz coming off the boundary, able to get outside on that flat uh, flat route to Roman Wilson, covers him on that out from the slot on a fourth and two, 
drives on that route, gets his arm in between the wide receiver's hands to break it up. So that's on a wide receiver running an out route, uh, quick out um, on that fourth and two play. You, you see the cover skills. You see you know, the, the instincts. That's something to me that really jumped out you know, as I watched, uh, watched him play. He's one of those guys that, you know, at linebacker that people aren't talking about. He'll be at the Senior Bowl. I think that's where you're going to get to see him kind of showcase his skills. Um, 6'1", 235. So he's not the biggest guy by any means, but the coverability um, is uh, ability to, to set the edge when, when needed. A guy that's going to be able to play sideline to sideline. He can shoot gaps for you against the run. But that, that coverage, I keep going back to the coverage. Um, and, and when you have a guy who has a, a coverage grade like he does, um, you know, making those plays, that's something to me that really stands out. I think that's something that time and time again, um, you know, Olafosio, you know, and if that's where the game's going, you've got linebackers who can cover, you're going to find a way to, to get that, that guy out on the field. And I think you're definitely going to be seeing that with uh, with that on uh, Olafosio. Uh, now, Zion Tupatola Fatui, this is a guy, once again, you know, who had a great start to his career there for, for the Huskies. Didn't really get to, to see the action, feel a ton. You know, he's 6'4", 260, so he's got good size, right? But uh, after two years battling injuries, um, shows up um, in the 2020 season, only plays in three games. You know, remember, that's the, the season that was cut short by, by COVID, but still, um, 13 tackles, seven of those were sacks. We're expecting big things from him, right? Um, only plays in two games, gets hurt again in the 2021 season. Battling injuries. Um, and then ends up with just eight sacks over the last two seasons. You know, you're waiting for him to make an impact, you know, really be able to take some of that pressure off Braylon Trice. And we just never saw that from him. Wasn't a factor in this game at all. Um, I, I thought he looked a step slow out there, just wasn't really able to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, just really didn't make an impact. Um, you know, I, I didn't have him credited for, for a tackle in this game. Um, so I, I look at his prospects. If he does get drafted, you know, it'll, it'll be late. You know, I, I think you know, really what you're going to have are, are some area scouts who know the potential. But, man, his injury history, you know, he, he's a six-year senior. Um, so obviously age has to be a factor. I wouldn't be surprised if Zion, you know, Tupula Fatui ends up being an undrafted free agent who has to work his way onto an NFL roster. Um, you know, just waiting for him to really make an impact down the stretch. And we just we just didn't see it. And I think that's really the I think the most frustrating thing when you watch uh, when you watched him play. Um, you know, again, I think there was a lot of promise. I think everyone kind of expecting uh, ZTF to have a big year, finally return to that that prowess that we saw it, you know, against Michigan State. You know, the second game of the year, had two sacks. Everyone's kind of thinking, okay, he's back. Only other game where he registered a sack was against USC. You know, that was right after his, his dad passed away. Uh, emotional game, very emotional. Um, had a, a sack and a half. Uh, on Caleb Williams ultimately helped propel Washington to that win, 10-point win in the Coliseum. But that was a game that was really in doubt for much of the game, and uh, really, you know, it was two heavyweight fighters with Ke you know Caleb Williams and, and Michael Penix Jr. trading those blows, and uh, you know he came up big. And I was hoping that he would finish the season on a high note, and uh, ultimately. You know, there's only one game where he had a tackle for loss, and just a half tackle for loss against the Beavers, and uh, 
you know, frankly, just had you know, registered six tackles in, in the final four games. And so that's something that I think you know, that, that the potential is still there. But you know, it's one of those things to where after being there for six years, is he one of those guys you know, where it's just that unfilled potential because of all of the injuries? Did they catch up to him? You know, is he a step slow because of that? Um, so I, I think undrafted free agency is probably where we're going to see him fall. Um, and he's going to have to fight like heck to, uh, to get onto an NFL roster. So we've talked about when Washington had the football, what they look like on offense, Michigan defensively, and then obviously flipped the script when Michigan had the football, Washington's defense, the draft prospects, what we saw in this game, what that means for their draft stock. Um, you know, is it something that we saw the entire year? And for some of these guys, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, you know, Drake Nugent, the athleticism. You know, we saw that all year there at that center spot. Carson Barnhart struggled until he kicked inside the guard. Um, you know, I think that's going to be his home. Blake Corum, the lateral agility uh, and the burst, absolutely there. Donovan Edwards, he's back to his former self, apparently. Um, he's the guy that's coming back. I thought that was a great decision um, you know, on his part. Um, I think Chris Jenkins, uh, you know, when, you know, he's, he's all about speed, man. And, you know, put him in there as a, as a three technique and let him go to work. Um, Mikey Sane was still coming up big time and time again. Um, you know, Braylon Trice, you know, a guy that I think can, can be effective, can get into the backfield. Uh, you just, again, the bend is what you worry about, but there's a lot to like watching his game. Um, and then obviously with Washington, breaking down everything from uh, from Romo Dunze and Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, those three receivers. Uh, Jack Westover is going to get himself drafted, I think. Troy Fatano is a first-rounder. Roger Rosengarten. Um, this was a bit of an anomaly, I thought. Uh, you know, he, Did he struggle with speed at times? Sure, but not to this level uh, where it just seemed like he was repeatedly either getting called for a hold or he jumped off sides trying to get a, you know, a head start dealing with these guys. And then obviously at that quarterback position, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., I left this game really convinced that these are two quarterbacks that aren't going to be taken in round one. Will there be one? I think if there is going to be a quarterback taken in the round in round number one that's not named Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden Daniels, it will end up being J.J. McCarthy, if nothing else, because of the potential and his age. I think age is going to be a huge factor because Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, they're both six-year seniors. So I think they're both, what, 24, 25 um, you know, when, when they hit that rookie season. I think there's still a lot of questions there with, especially with, with Michael Penix Jr.'s game. Um, pressure doesn't really handle it all that well. Michigan made him look very pedestrian. Um, you know, one game doesn't make or break anyone, but it's one of those things to where it more, more or less confirmed what I was expecting to see even in that Texas game. Um, I, I drank the Kool-Aid there with that Texas game, thinking maybe he's finally turned the corner, kind of like C.J. Stroud against Georgia. But then against Michigan, the first time we really saw him against consistent pressure, we saw some of the chinks in the armor in the Texas game with him on the move and trying to make throws, throwing balls behind guys, not really able to hit them. He doesn't set his feet. He struggles. The footwork can be a little iffy as well. The deep ball is absolutely ridiculous, but there's more to the game than just throwing a good deep ball. Um, and I think a lot of those throws, you know, especially, man, can you just take a short short drop, find the hot receiver when you're under that pressure, and be able to, you know, to flip the script there on the defense. 
that's something that we you know we wanted to see there in that Michigan game. You know, but really we saw a lot of throws into the flat. We didn't really see uh, him take advantage of any of that. You know, as a processor, uh, understanding where to go with the football, we saw him do that. But can he do it on a consistent basis? We haven't seen it, and that's why I'm not taking Michael Penix in round number one. I just I can't. Um, so. One thing that I do want to leave you with is kind of a, a, a top 10 mock. Um, just kind of looking at things once again uh, before we go ahead and wrap things up with this podcast. We look at number one overall, Chicago Bears. Um, Caleb Williams, I think, is going to be the, the pick here until otherwise because we don't know what's happening with Justin Fields. If Justin Fields is the pick, we can kind of go through that as well But uh, you know, for the Bears. But Caleb Williams there at number one as of right now. Um, Drake May going number two overall to Washington. Again, if Caleb Williams is not the guy for Chicago, I think you trade with Washington. You know, if I'm Washington, I'm looking for a new identity with this team. Ron Rivera fired as the head coach. I'm looking at bringing in the kid from Washington, D.C. to rejuvenate my franchise. I trade up to the number one overall pick. Chicago can then get Marvin Harrison Jr., Imagine Marvin Harrison Jr. and DJ Moore for Justin Fields. If Fields is going to be your guy, that could very well be the move. Um, Drake May, otherwise going number two overall to Washington. Um, you know, Sitting there at number three, the Patriots, they're in a good position. If uh, the two quarterbacks are off the board, then it's James Daniels. If not, then I think Drake May ends up going number three overall. Sitting there at number four, the Cardinals. Marvin Harrison Jr. is still on the board. He'll be the pick there at number four. I think there's no question about that. They need a number one for Kyler Murray. If Marvin Harrison uh, Jr. ends up going to the Bears, let's say at number two, then I think this pick will end up being Malik Neighbors. I think you have to get out of out of here with the number one. Um, it, it could be Romo Dunze as well. You know, it just depends on on the flavor, you know, who they like here. I think the explosiveness of Malik Neighbors, though, would be a nice fit in Arizona. Um Number five, the Chargers. I think regardless of what happens in the top four, you know, could they decide to go after a receiver? Maybe. But I think Brock Bowers, you know, especially with Gerald Everett, a free agent, um, they need to get some weapons for um, for Justin Herbert. And I think they could still get receivers in free agency. But Brock Bowers is one of those tight ends that you just can't pass up on. Um, the Giants sitting there at number six. This is where I think, you know, they finally need to get, a, you know, Quality over quantity sometimes. You know, that's the way you should be looking at it. So many receivers on this roster, they need a number one. They're lacking one right now. Malik Neighbors will be the guy. If he's off the board going to the Cardinals at four, then I think Romo Dunze becomes that pick there at number six overall. Number seven, the Titans. Here's an interesting pick. The Titans, they need a receiver for Will Levis. Could they go receiver here? I think this is a team that, that's going to be looking for receivers in, uh, in free agency as well. Um, that could be an option. If Romo Dunze is sitting there, that, that could be the pick. It's a deep, deep uh, receiver draft, so they can always look to pick up a receiver in round two. That's why I think Olu Fashanu, get that left tackle. Will, Will Levis is getting beat up left and right. They need to take care of him. Olu Fashanu, they're at number seven. Then you go to number eight and uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Here's the team that, uh, you know, if 
Jaden Daniels is still available, he's going to be the pick there at number eight. Only way that he's available is if uh, you know, Caleb Williams goes to, to Washington and the Drake May ends up going to the Patriots, right? Because Justin Fields remains with the Bears. So if that happens, Atlanta probably looks to try to trade up and get Jaden Daniels. Um, if they sit there at number eight and Williams, May, and Daniels are all off the board, I think they go with the best edge rusher. The most complete edge rusher for me is Leatu Latu out of UCLA. There's no doubt about that. Could they go Dallas Turner? Sure. But Leatu Latu, come on. You see the speed. You see the, uh, the, the power. You see the hand usage. You see his ability to bend. He does everything well coming off the edge there for UCLA. Uh, most consistent edge rusher. The win rate is, is phenomenal. To me, I look at Latu. I think he's a no-brainer for them. Um, if Atlanta can't get their quarterback. I think Atlanta really needs to get a quarterback. I mean, you look at that offense. Offensive line is set. You've got uh, a pro bowler and Chris Lindstrom at left guard. You've got um, you know, your right tackle, Caleb McGarry, is there for a while. You've got you know Jake, uh, Jake Matthews as well. Um, I think Matt Hennessy is playing center. The right guard spot, I, I want to say, is, is also solid. Kyle Pitts at tight end. Drake London at receiver. They're going to need to fill in additional receivers as well. But you got Bijan and Tyler Algier there at running back. They're a quarterback away from that offense, really clicking and firing on all cylinders. Desmond Ritter proved that he can't be the guy. And Taylor Heineke, look, he's a nice spot starter. He's a nice backup to have, but he's not a starter. Uh, so Atlanta needs to figure out that quarterback position. Now look, you know, if the Bears, if they are going to stay, stay at number one, I look at talking about Justin Fields. You know, why not? See if you can bring in Justin Fields. It's probably going to cost you a second or third. You're not going to be getting that that eight, you know, that number eight overall pick. You know, so you can stay there, get the defensive player that you need, and get a quarterback. You know, that that's that's always an option there as well. So the Bears sitting there at number nine. If they go Caleb Williams, then I think if Romo Dunze is on the board, that's the route you go. Add weapons for your quarterback, right? DJ Moore, Romo Dunze, you know, now you've got weapons. And if it's Caleb Williams, who's your quarterback, then you give him two bona fide studs on the outside to deliver the football to. Then you have a tight end in Cole Komet as well. I think you really start building a nice passing attack there. Um, if ultimately Caleb Williams is not the pick there at, at number one, they trade the pick and uh, you know for the Bears, and you know, Caleb ends up going one to the to Washington. The Bears trade down number two, um, and they end up taking Marvin Harrison Jr. Then I think ultimately at nine, you get an edge rusher. You get somebody to pair with Montez Sweat. I think you know, you, you're going to want to try to get Laatu Latu. If not, then Dallas Turner is the guy. I think the other option could potentially be Joe Alt. If you're not sold on on, uh, on Braxton Jones at left tackle, then Joe Alt can also be that option. Obviously, you have uh, Darnell Wright at right tackle. Looks like he's going to be a keeper there. Joe Alt, protect your, your investment there at the quarterback position. Just saying that could be a possibility. And then sitting there at, at number 10 overall, the New York Jets. That's where Joe Alt ends up coming off the board. Um, he and Fashanu, you know, if Fashanu ends up not, not coming off the board on you know, at number seven to the Titans, and that's where Alt lands, then Fashanu will end up coming off the board there. They just they've got to make sure that they're protecting the quarterback at all times. You know, whether it was Aaron Rodgers, obviously going down first game of the year, Zach Wilson. It didn't matter who was that quarterback. 
pressure, coming, you know, sacks. You don't want to have to deal with all of that. So I, I think at the end of the day there, uh, Joe Wald ends up being the guy. And what's interesting is, you know, um, the Vikings, they're sitting there at, at number 11. Could Michael Penix Jr. be the answer there? I just got through saying Michael Penix Jr. is not a first-rounder, but the Vikings really are another team that need a quarterback. Kirk Cousins, you know, is he going to be back from, from the injury in time for the season? You know, they, they, they tried uh, with, with Josh Dobbs. At the end of the day, they're going to need a, a quarterback for the future. Um, and Penix, I just, again... I think you could probably wait until the second round, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Minnesota is desperate for a quarterback, and so unless they try to make a a trade, they try to get uh, Jaden Daniels, I think Michael Penix Jr. may not have a choice but to take him and get him on your field. And, you know, hey, doesn't really have to change colors. The purple and gold, right? I think there's still a possibility that Penix ends up going much higher off the board than he should. I think he's a guy that should be a top 50 pick. I don't think he's a first rounder, um, but Minnesota may not have a choice. You know, they may not be able to uh, to make that decision. You know, I, you know, I think they'll end up having to pull the trigger and, and, and take a quarterback at number 11 overall, or try to move into the top 10 and get a quarterback. You have to move ahead of Atlanta. Uh, to be able to do that, I think you know, you're going to have to really look at teams. You know, um, you know are, are there teams that are going to be willing to move down to number 11 um, out of that top 10? And, and frankly, I just don't see it happening. So I, I think there's really going to be a lot of discussion over the next few months with Michael Penix Jr. Is he truly the number four quarterback? I, I think he's probably the guy, he and Bo Nix, but I don't see either of them as first-round quarterbacks. Um, so I, I think you know, Minnesota, like I said, may not have a choice, though. They may not have a choice in the matter. That may end up having to be the guy that they end up pulling the trigger on. Uh, they're sitting at number 11 overall. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Obviously, the, the mocks are going to change quite a bit uh, as we lead up to the draft. Um, we don't even have the entire first round set just yet. That won't actually happen until after the Super Bowl is played uh, next month. But uh, you know, you can guarantee that I'll be here every step of the way, covering every bit of the pre-draft process from the All-Star Games to the Combine, discussing individual workouts. Uh, taking a look at free agency, what's happening there, what are the team needs, and who are, who's going to be the best fit for a lot of these teams. And, uh, you know, I'll go to work, put together my mock drafts. Not only am I looking at the first round or day two, I'm also looking at day three. Who are going to be the guys that are going to end up making an impact? Who's going to be the Puka Nakua? Puka Nakua, a fifth-round receiver, ends up you know, breaking records, you know, uh, rookie receiving records and just the things that he's been able to do there for the Rams, especially with Cooper Cup going down. Who's going to be that guy? You know, the, the guy that, that kind of comes out of nowhere. You know, a guy that I think everybody was expecting to uh, make an impact 
but not to that level, not record-breaking levels. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And that's something that I think is is really cool uh, about the draft process is there can be guys that you know, you'll find that are just diamonds in the rough. I mean, the guy ran a 4.57, a 6.1, 201, but the dude is so tough, he's physical, and, uh, you know, frankly, um, you know, I, again, I thought he was a nice receiver at BYU, but I looked at him as a day three guy. I thought he, he was a nice complimentary pick. Did not see him being an alpha at the next level. Um, you know, I, I thought he could make an impact, but not that type of impact. So as we go through the, the draft, obviously this is a copycat league. Teams are going to be looking for who can be that next Pukunukua. We'll be taking a look at that. We'll be taking a look at who are those diamonds in the rough. Who are the guys that are overrated? Who are flying? Who are the guys flying under the radar? Who are some of the small school guys that we need to take a look at as well? Um, you know, who are going to get themselves drafted? It's crazy. You're going to see, you know, a guy from South Dakota State, uh, the running back, uh, Isaiah Davis, get taken on day three, uh, and you might see a, an offensive tackle from Yale. Yeah, that's right, Yale, Ivy League potentially get drafted before day two is out. So again, a lot to cover. Hopefully you've enjoyed the content so far. We'll be running this back all the way up until the draft kicks off end of April. Hope you stick around and enjoy the party. Until next time, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. And until next time, I am out of here.